Welcome to another episode of Healing Through Pain. I'm your host, Steph, and this is a show that dives into health and healing where we can discuss how to show up well for the responsibilities and opportunities that life sends our way. Today, I'm going to give you a look inside of my brain, and it is an interesting space, and I hope you will learn a lot as we go forward. So, I've actually recorded this particular episode several times, and I have found myself getting particularly emotional off and on, and really highly critical, so I go back and I delete it, and I I try again, because frankly, when I try to explain my brain to people, I number one, I don't think I do it well, but number two, I don't even understand what I do sometimes internally and in my brain, and so, you know, if I'm trying to explain it to other people, perhaps there's a, a gap in understanding, because frankly, I don't understand myself. But if we were talking diagnostically, and I've shared this before, I would definitely follow along the spectrum of complex PTSD. So we call it CPTSD. And complex trauma history is going to kind of paint a particular lens or provide me with a particular lens to navigate life. But I am actively in a healing journey, and I don't assume that my normal right now is going to be my normal long term. But I want to give you some insight into even now, several years into my healing journey, what my brain does. And if you have someone in your life that is trauma affected, uh, try to maybe grow an understanding of what their experience might be. Not that my experience is their experience, but the experiences of a complex trauma response is it's pretty pervasive and it, it paints a lot of pieces in life in, in pretty interesting ways. And so I just want to share some of that. And if it's helpful, great. And if it's not, well, this can be just a self-indulgent episode where I talk about myself the whole time. But trauma is going to be something that rewires our bodies and our brains for survival. So some of my earliest anecdotal struggles came at ages four and five and six. And then there's been intermittent episodes along the way that have added into what I experience as a profound mistrust and distrust of people. And my brain wires with that being my reality. So while there are plenty of people around me who actually are exceptions to that particular point of view, I've just ran through most of my formative years with a pervasive sense of dis ease and kind of just a schema that the world is unsafe. And because that's true, be, not because the, it's true that the world is unsafe, but because I perceive the world to be unsafe, that particular lens affects my thoughts and my behaviors and my emotions. And so I want to walk through those three pieces today. And they're in that particular order because I have to actually tackle my healing in that linear fashion. I have to work on my thoughts. I have to practice new behaviors. And then my emotions will come along over time. And frustratingly, it takes a very long time, um, at least in my story. But I'm also stubborn and hard-headed, so I wonder if that's part of why things, you know, take so so long for me. But I want to talk about some of my thought patterns, and I have three particular uh, types of distortions that run for me very, very consistently, especially when it relates to trusting other people and being healthy in relationships. These are some of the pieces where I struggle. So one of the the primary pieces, and this is a cognitive distortion that runs for many, it's black and white thinking. It comes by a few other names. It can be called all or nothing thinking. It can be called dichotomous thinking, either or thinking. And this just means that my brain, and and I'm going to take responsibility when I say my brain, I'm talking about myself, but I often use the, the verbiage of my brain because I understand I don't want to be unhealthy, but my brain still has strategies that are unhealthy. So if, I, if I'm if i personifying my brain, it's 
only because that's that's just the way I speak about my experience. But I'll take ownership. This is me doing it. But uh, my brain engages in black and white thinking. So all or nothing thinking for me means that, for example, a few years ago, I um, I knew I couldn't, like I didn't have the freedom to accept a new full-time position contract at school uh, because life was shifting in a way where, where teaching full-time just didn't make sense anymore. But I also wasn't ready to leave. And in my brain, there just wasn't a medium ground. And so for for three or four days, I'm, I'm, I'm in the throes of like, but I can't leave, but I can't stay full time, but I can't leave, but I can't stay full time. And I'm, I'm running on this hamster wheel. And it was about four days in where I was sitting there and it was like this eureka moment of, oh, I could go part time. And it just hadn't occurred to me because my brain is very much all or nothing thinking. As it relates to relationships, it often shows up that people are either like team staff ride or die, or I'm just this this sore in their life and they can't stand me. And those just aren't accurate. There's so much nuance in life. My brain is having to be trained to figure out nuance because I just, I'm not good at that yet. That's not a skill that I have. The second thing that shows up quite consistently is my brain is wired for chaos. So instead, Instead of generous interpretations, instead of assuming the best about people and situations, instead of, to be fair, my level of chill is at about a zero. I think that's the best way to explain it. So if something shifts or something changes, I assume it's because I've done something to create a shift or a change. I assume that whatever the most destructive scenario is, that's probably reality. That's where my brain takes me. We could also call it catastrophizing. Um, That's a very specific cognitive distortion, again, that many with trauma do experience. But I just have zero level of chill. And when things feel unresolved, my level of chill is even worse. It's, it's, It's non-existent. I assume the worst thing is going on here. And what was what was really interesting is, you know, I, I know that I've gone through a lot of healing. I know that that's accurate, but I'm also in a very high stress situation in my life right now as some personal stuff starts to become resolved. And so as I've been in this holding pattern for the last five or six months, I understand that my brain has been even more prickly, even more sensitive. And probably a few weeks back, um, probably four or five weeks at this point, I, I had this, this situation evolve where I had two people in my life that had strong opinions, I guess, about one another as a particular situation was evolving. And my brain is wired for chaos. So my brain said, staff, they're both going to be angry. They're both going to be angry with you. They're probably both going to ghost you and not be a part of your life anymore. And because that's what my brain was saying, not only was my level of chill zero, but I I started to run interference on this this catastrophizing scenario. And so I reached out to one of my friends and I, I just kind of purged all of my thoughts. And I'm like, I don't feel safe. This doesn't feel safe. This is all terrible. And he um, he very graciously, when we kind of revisited it a couple days later, he very graciously said, Steph, I knew I was watching a trauma response. I understand what your brain is doing there. You're wrong. It's not accurate, but I get what was going on. And that that was helpful, but I also felt kind of that, that frustration of will it ever get better? Because I do feel like I'm healing, I'm growing in skill. And then I have moments like that where, again, I just, I feel, embarrassed or I feel um, like ill-equipped. I, I feel like I should know better. I should do better. So, and, and those are my should statements that that run and judge. And frankly, that's another distortion I wasn't planning on talking about, but you know, there it is. That's, that's another one. And then a, a third piece that my uh, brain also does, and I'm going to talk about the behavior piece of OCD in just a minute here, because that, that runs for me. But what happens with uh, OCD specifically 
as we start to not be able to navigate well the distinction between possibility and probability. So in my catastrophizing brain, I often focus on the possibility that something could go wrong and then I run with that scenario. Well, you have to slow it down enough to say, okay, it's possible something bad might happen. For example, I could go out today and I could be in a car wreck. That's absolutely possible. But then you have to instead ask the question, what's the probability that that happens? I have zero ability to ask that question when I'm feeling stressed. I look at possibility. I don't look at probability. I don't look at the fact that over the last 18 years of driving, I've had minor fender benders. I'm very intentional with driving. I'm very diligent. I, I have not had any sort of significant accident. And while I can, while I can say that and, and be confident that my I, I drive defensively, I make sure that I don't put myself in danger, the fact that the possibility exists can still be immobilizing for me, which again, common with a trauma-affected brain, but it's just not accurate. So my brain sends me danger signals that are just, they're, they're inappropriate for the situations in which I find myself. So then we go to the behavior piece, and the behavior piece is going to be a little bit of that OCD I talked about. I have a long history um, with OCD. OCD, so things like uh, counting and and rhythm and um, those are types of things that help me regulate. They're very self-soothing for me. But OCD also shows up with addiction. So we have this cycle of I have a distressing thought, the thought builds up and I feel anxiety. I do something to dismantle my anxiety, and this is where kind of the addiction or the vice piece comes in, and then I feel relief, but then I have the intrusive thought again. And so we go to through this cycle where self-soothing is part of our, our normal. And I've discussed my weight history before. I uh, struggled with morbid obesity for a very long time, and there is a heavy connection. That was an interesting pun. I'm going to move right forward, though. Um, there's a very specific connection between weight struggles and, and in many people's lives, kind of that compulsive eating or binge eating or that OCD piece. And in my story, that's absolutely accurate. Behaviorally also, because I feel that the the world is unsafe, I'm very timid and quite scared of new situations. Um, I'm I'm vulnerable physically, I feel. I'm vulnerable emotionally. And so my behaviors follow through on that. It's very easy for me to talk myself out of things, even things that I really want. And it's not because I'm not brave. Um, No, no, it is because I'm not brave. But it's 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 a little deeper than that. It's because I'm quite terrified of the possibility, right? Back to those thoughts, the possibility that something could go poorly here, or the possibility that I could cause pain for others. And behaviorally also, I don't state my boundaries well because I don't want to upset people. And because I don't state my boundaries well, I might not hold my boundaries well. Those are relational issues. If I intend to relationship well, I need boundaries. I need to be able to state them. And the other thing is I need to be able to navigate anger. I'm very aversive to anger. And it's not just anger directed at me. If there's anger in my proximity, I assume I've done something to contribute and it's very hard for me to navigate and I get very disoriented pretty quickly. And so this is something too where I'm having to slow things down enough to say stuff just because someone's angry doesn't mean they're angry with you. And if they were angry with you, they can come talk to you about it. So that's kind of the thought patterns and some of the behavior pieces that run. Because I've lived my life in a protective posture for the last, you know, we're talking the broad side of 25 to 30 years here. Emotionally, my, my emotions 
emotions reinforce my behaviors and reinforce my thoughts. They tell me things consistently like, you're not good enough. You're not capable. The big one that runs for me is if there is a problem, it's because I am the problem. And that's because I've sat in that space for so long. Now, as I'm healing, I understand that emotions come last. And so I'm going to have to work on my thought patterns. I'm going to have to show up and pretend to be brave until I am brave. Um, one of my friends, he says, um, not fake it till you make it, but fake it until you become it. And that's a chapter of my life that I'm in right now is going and practicing new things and trying to stretch myself into new spaces. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to have to tolerate the distress of um, being uncomfortable. But emotionally over time, I can regulate if I keep practice showing up. And that's where that's where I kind of want to land today is it's going to take a lot of intentional effort of working on body, working on mind, working on spirit. And if I expect healing, I have to look at all of these pieces that I've shared with you. I have to look at my cognitive distortions. I have to look at my OCD tendencies. I have to look at my emotional, what I'm going to call immaturity, just meaning it's not well-formed. It's not locked into reality. It's still running in ways that are not accurate. All of those pieces have to be addressed. And if I expect to, to live well, I have to be radically honest about some of my deficits right now. And when I say deficits, I don't say that in a judgmental way. I can look at my trauma history and say, okay, it makes sense, but I don't want this to be my normal, so I'm going to have to do something about it. And I also have to understand that high-stress situations are going to exploit these deficits in really loud ways. And so while I'm navigating life and while I'm navigating relationships and while I'm navigating stretching into new spaces, I'm going to get it wrong. And as a recovering perfectionist, that makes me absolutely nauseous, but I'm going to get it wrong. And I, I have to grapple with that. And if I'm going to flex the muscle of growing stronger and, and being well, it's, it's going to mean a lot of discomfort. If you're walking with someone who does have a trauma history, ask them what their experiences are. And the only thing I could really recommend is please be patient. Patience is key when you're working with someone. I'm surrounded by very loving people right now who say, Steph, who you are right now is okay. And we look forward to you healing and becoming stronger and better and healthier because both of those matter. Who you are now and, and the struggles you've come through, that's important. Who you are becoming is important. And that's why we're going to have patience and that's why we're going to be gentle but we're also going to hold you to a high standard because when we know better we have to do better so give space and grace for people to navigate things well and understand our history informs so much of what we do and so much of who we are i don't get to rewrite history but I do get to rewrite how it affects my present. And for those of you struggling, get help. Look, lean on others and, and try to slow the pace of life down enough to navigate some of this tough stuff because we, we can heal. It's just a consistency over time situation. Thank you so much for choosing to tune in today. As always, you are welcome to reach out to me at healingthroughpain21 at gmail.com. You're also welcome to connect with me on SoundCloud. Email me through there. Connect on the Facebook group or whatever that looks like. And please feel free to share anytime you're willing to share it's such a benefit to me to the platform to the show and it's just it's always appreciated thanks so much and enjoy the rest of your week